compounding and the power of compounding and um that from a very early age i went yeah that that is uh, so powerful um i remember seeing um a, a, like a, a graph a, a, a diagram um which was the most scary and exciting thing <laughs> at the time i'd ever seen and it just put this fire in me to go well from the age of 20 to 30 i need to work as hard as I can and as smart as I can to um, do whatever I can to get compounding on my side so that um, I had time working for me. And also when I bought my first property, um, it wasn't as scary to to do because I felt like if I did make a mistake or um, if I stuffed up and it went bad, I had time to recover. Welcome to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, the leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self, health and wealth potential. I'm your host, Bushy Martin, and each week I go deep with the best investors, experts, leaders and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind, discover freedom and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. Hi, Freedom Fighters. Are you interested in investing in property? Why? And what have you done about it? Now, most hardworking Aussies know they want to do something in property, but many just can't see how. And the result? Nothing happens. There's always some excuse why now is never the right time to get started because conditions are never perfect. Or you just kid yourself that you just don't have the time because there's always some other urgency getting in the way. Or you kid yourself that you've got plenty of time, so you just don't have to worry about it yet. Now, this is a real fool's paradise. As I keep saying, it's the start that stops most people. But sadly, this means that most are missing the point, because success in investing is all about time. If it's one thing that you need to imprint indelibly on your forehead when it comes to securing your future, it's the benefit of giving yourself lots and lots of TLC. Now, I don't mean the normal tender loving care, although investing will actually give you this. I'm talking about TLC in the sense of time, leverage, and compounding growth. Like it or lump it, but sustainable success in anything takes a minimum of 15 years. So you need to embrace time as your friend instead of treating it as your foe, and you need to leverage other people's skills and other people's money, and then you can just let the magic of compounding returns do the heavy lifting. So just remember... TLC, time, leverage, and compounding. And the first and most important of these is time. You need to make the time now to secure your property portfolio as quickly as you can so that you can then let time uh, allow the compounding returns to grow your nest egg that are going to generate the residual income you need to get your time back to do the things that are important to you. So take the time to invest now to use your time to get your time back. Because investment success is never about when, it's always about where and what. Because the best time to invest is every time you can. And the earlier you start, and the more time you have up your sleeve, the easier and less risky it all is. If you've got 15 plus years up your sleeve, investing can be a bit like a casual stroll in the park. 
barred, if you like, for many who leave it until they're in their late 40s or early 50s and they suddenly have their oh shit super moment when they realise that their super isn't going to be enough to uh, sustain their lifestyle when they stop work. Investing in a short time frame in this sense is more like the white knuckle ride of scaling a vertical cliff where any wrong move could end up in a life-threatening disaster. So the earlier you start, the easier it is. And today's guest, Michael Olivieri, and I hope I got the pronunciation right there, Michael, is an absolute living example of the success of this approach. As you're about to hear in detail, from a very young age, Michael could see the benefit of property ownership and wanted to get started as quickly as he could. As a result, he dedicated his career to learning as much as he could about property, and he managed to secure his first property at the tender age of just 21. Now, by the time he was 29, he'd grown the value of his portfolio to over $3.5 million. And he then forged his professional career, firstly in commercial property, before opening his own successful Central Coast Buyers Agency north of Sydney in New South Wales, where he now helps you and others to achieve your property goals. So in today's episode, we continue our series of sharing the nitty-gritty details of the property journeys of other hands-on investors and the learnings that this is going to give you. Now, before we get into it, I would need to ask you a big favour that's only going to take a few seconds of your time. About 72% of you that watch Property Hub podcasts don't subscribe. So if you've ever enjoyed our shows and our videos, can you please do us a quick favour and hit the subscribe button now? It helps our channel more than you know, and I promise you that the bigger the channel gets, the better the guests get, and the better your investment learnings are going to be. Now, in the newly formed tradition of your Property Hubs Get Invested podcast, we're breaking our awesome conversation with Michael into two parts. Today's chat will focus on unpacking his personal property journey with next week's flow on discussion is going to reveal how his buyer's agent's approach is helping you and others to avoid the common property mistakes in order to optimise your property portfolio performance. So after having the pleasure of meeting Michael at the recent Property Investment Professionals of Australia or PIPA conference in Sydney. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So welcome and let's get invested, Michael. Thanks, Bushy. It's uh, it's an honour and a privilege to uh, be with you today. I uh, really enjoyed our uh, chat uh, at the PIPA conference, mate. So I, I know we're going to have some fun today, but uh, uh, Michael, sort of kick things off for, for those who don't know you. Uh, can you start by telling us what you do differently and, more importantly, why you do what you do? Um, I don't know if I do anything super different to to, to other investors. Um, I'm not one to be very sort of innovative in terms of trying to, you know, change the wheel or reinvent the wheel. Um, I just, I learned from others, saw what they were doing that was successful and just did the same. Um I think the, I suppose the different approaches I realised very, very early on, and you touched on it in the intro, compounding and the power of compounding. And um, that from a very early age, I went, yeah, that that is uh, so powerful. Um, I remember seeing um, a, a, like a, a graph, a, a, a diagram, um, which was the most scary and exciting thing <laughs> at the time I'd ever seen. And basically, um, if you if you had invest ten thousand dollars, it looks at it looks at the working life. So it's from twenty, say twenty to sixty, forty years. If you invest ten thousand dollars into whatever it is, be it property shares, um, the bank where you earn interest in the in a deposit account or a 
term deposit um, and, and deposit $100 a month every year for the first 10 years um, at a 5% interest rate. After 10 years, you'd have $39,000 in there. If you then left that money in in the um, in the in the investment, but didn't add any additional payments, so you just left that thirty nine thousand, and for the next thirty years left it there at the same um, interest rate of five percent, yep. you'd end up with about one hundred and forty seven thousand dollars or something like that. Now, if you didn't start at the age of twenty, and you started at thirty, and you put that initial ten thousand in and put a hundred dollars every month compounding monthly and you put a hundred dollars every single month for from 30 to 60 so for 30 years worth of payments yep you'd still only get to 126 thousand dollars and that scared the crap out of me i just went that 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 can't be right and it just put this fire in me to go well from the age of 20 to 30 i need to work as hard as i can and as smart as i can to um do whatever I can to get compounding on my side so that um, I had time working for me. And also when I bought my first property, um, it wasn't as scary to to do because I felt like if I did make a mistake or um, if I stuffed up and it went bad, I had time to recover. So I was able to sort of jump in a little bit more aggressively into it or, or with a little bit more confidence knowing that this isn't my last shot. Um, so that's sort of something that, yeah, is really um, important and, and I really wanted to share that message. But why I do what I do, um, it's a really good one. I think in a single word, it's family. But if I if I really expand on that, um, and the idea I had before I even had a family was basically what I envisage, envisage for the future. Um, as a teenager, I thought, what you know, I don't know, not many teenage kids are thinking about getting married and having having a family and doing all those things. But I knew that at some stage in my life, that would be something that I'd be interested in and and wanted to do. So, yeah, um, I had this idea in my head that uh, of what I wanted to be as a as a husband, as a father, and, and how I could realize that and. Um, and that stems from, you know, obviously my own upbringing, how I saw my, how I interacted with my own parents and, and I was pretty fortunate. We didn't have a, um, you know, I, I came from a, um, a well-off family, I suppose, but we weren't, you know, rich by any means. I, didn't, I definitely didn't get all the, the toys and the bells and whistles that, that I wanted and other kids had, but, um, but I was ta- taught a lot of lessons, uh, very good life lessons. And that um, sort of really set me up to go, okay, well, what what do I want for my future? What's important? And how can I get there? And I figured if I make some small sacrifices at the start, um, I I'd, I'd, uh, wouldn't have to – I'd get to 30 and I wouldn't have to work as hard. So um, my, my goal I always had as a teenager was retire at 30. That was, that was the goal. And it was a pretty ambitious goal. And when I – you know, I, I'd tell – people that and they'd laugh at me and they'd say you, you're mad like that you can't do that um yeah you know, people that were 30 or close to it or older they'd say no you can't retire at 30 and I thought oh, well, I'll give it a crack anyway if I if I miss by a couple of years it's still pretty good <laughs> so, um yeah so that was sort of my my 
why um, was just, you know, retire at 30 so that I could be the, the, the type, my ideal husband and father for my family and um, really just have the time to be present. Well, there's a the whole bunch of stuff I'd like to uh, unpack with what you just shared with us, Michael. And, and I guess the, there's a couple of things there that that I find uh, really interesting, uh, particularly at a young age, even thinking about uh, what your long-term future looks like is interesting because very few do that. And secondly, I, I'd love for you to so so I'd love you to share how that how that came about and why you were. We're thinking those thoughts at that very early age, and and secondly, that the the really good example you shared with us there about you know the the need to starting investing at twenty to end up with that result rather than leave it for for ten years. Where did you come across that? Who introduced you to that? Uh, because uh, to get so inspired and motivated to take some action at such an early age is very rare. So can you sort of talk us through some of that? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, it could have been, you know, mid-teens when when I was at school um, and they start talking to you, you know, the teachers and, and people, family and friends around you, they start asking you, what are you going to do? What do you want to do when you finish school? And, um, and, I, and I thought about it and the answer really was nothing. Like I didn't want to work. Um, nobody wants to go to work and earn money and go home. For me, it was... Yeah, you know, it's, it's a very sort of, I suppose, silly way of saying it. But really, it was, it's not that I don't want to do nothing. I'm a very active person and I never sit still. Ask anybody that knows me, I'm, I'm doing more than most. But it was more that I, I didn't want to have to work. I wanted to do something that I enjoyed, regardless of what I earned or what, what it generated from an income. And so, so then that got me thinking. I was like, oh, well, how do I do that? How do you how do you sit at home or how do you go out and ride a motorbike or how do you go and lie on the beach or whatever it is that you enjoy? How do you do that but still get paid? Um, and that's when I started to learn about passive income. And I was like, okay, so what's this this idea of passive income? How old were you when this the idea of passive income came into your mind? What, what sort of vintage were you, man? I was probably 15, 15, 16, Amazing. something like that. Um, so I, so I, I said to my dad, I said, Dad, how do I, how do I stay at home or not stay at home? But how do I not go to work but still earn money? Like, how do you, how do you earn money without going to work? Um, and he said, Oh, he, he, he sort of introduced me to the idea of property. He said, Well, if you, you buy a property, you rent it out, the tenant pays your rent. And I was like, Oh, that's good. And he's like, You know how we play Monopoly all the time? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, Basically that. And I was like, Well, I'm pretty good at Monopoly, so that's that shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> so. That that was sort of my first introduction to it, and and that really planted the seed. And um, I was staying up, and, and I'm I'm not that old, but when I was at school, there wasn't iPhones, and there wasn't there's the technology we have now. So it wasn't as accessible. Yes, we did have computers, but um, there wasn't podcasts and all of those things that are readily readily available for people to access the information. So I was just you know watching TV late at night and infomercials used to come on and there was this and i'll never forget it this infomercial came on um with uh john fitzgerald from custodian wealth and he was talking yeah, i remember about, i remember him. Yeah, yep. he was talking about um yeah his story backpack from melbourne to queensland with 200 and built this property empire and i was like wow okay so he didn't even have anything and he was able to do it so i'm like i've got to i've got to work out what he's doing like what's the secret so i was 
I was watching that and I I used to stay up trying to watch it and and listen to the story. And it was on pretty early in the hours in the morning. So sometimes, you know, I'd get in trouble for staying up late. But um that really was part of the idea. And then I just kept talking to talking to dad about it, my parents, and I was just trying to learn as much as I could while I was still at school. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do, like in terms of actual career or employment. I just knew that I wanted to build a property portfolio that was going to pay me um, pay me a passive income so that I could live life on my own terms, or as you like to put it, live life by design. Oh, mate, I absolutely love that. That that's really inspirational, mate. To, to hear someone that you know, that fifteen, that's starting to think about those things. Uh, you know, if I had my time around again, uh, it, it wasn't until I had a an early life crisis that uh, I, I was forced to have to think about it. And there was a lot older than, you know, I was 33 when that happened. Uh, so uh, I've I got great admiration for you. And I, I guess what that's telling me to some degree, given what you've already shared about your dad, uh, can you sort of take us through your, uh, you know, a bit of a reader's digest of your life journey so far in terms of we've invested your time, energy and money and, and how important that family background and upbringing was to, uh, you know, what you did and where you are and what, you, what you're now up to today. Yeah, so I suppose for, for me and my story, um, I've got an Italian background or heritage and so a lot of that um uh, sort of flows through into my work ethic and my uh, views and, and values. Um, and I also grew up on a on a farm. So uh, I, work, I watched my, my my parents work very hard. Um, mm. Anybody that's a farmer or knows a farmer knows that they work seven days a week. There is no weekends. Um, yeah, it's a lot of early, early starts. And um, it wasn't your typical farm. It was actually a flower farm. So it's a little bit different than what most people probably are thinking, but yep. it still was very much that life. And, um, you know, dad was around. We lived on the farm as well. So he was he was always there, but um, he worked very hard. And um, he had a very humble background and beginnings as well. Before he started the farm, he he was a motor mechanic and he, and he, and he used to have a lawn mowing business as well. So um, I've got a lot of... I suppose, you know, he was a massive mentor for me and a lot of things I've learned from, you know, how he's run a business and and done things. But um, for me, that work ethic really was one of the biggest things I learned from him. And he always used to say to me as a kid, don't do not do what I've done, son. Work smart, don't work hard. And he, he worked physically hard in all his, his jobs. It was a physical job and he traded time for money and yeah. – um, you know, he, he's done well for himself from working hard and a lot of other Italian migrants did the same. They they just worked physically hard and, yes, they might have done all right, but they did it by accident. They didn't really know how they did it. It was just through working hard that they got there, but it took them their whole life to do it. Yeah. So I had that idea planted in my head of work smart, not hard, and I was like, well, how do I work smart? And that's where I started sort of going into oh, learning about passive income and compounding and all of those things. And that started to then click. And I was like, okay, so this is how you work smart. So the thing dad probably didn't realize that I'd do is I'd just do both, just work hard and smart. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and I think the common the common word in both of those things is work. There's nothing that's there's nothing that you can do where 
you, you can't you have to put the work in whether it's a smart way of working whether it's a hard way you have to put the work in you have to take action um so that was always that was always clear to me yeah that's uh really interesting uh you're sharing that story yeah obviously have very similar backgrounds and and my good father had a very similar conversation with myself albeit I was a lot older than than you were at the time uh but that uh working instead of working hard for money getting your money to work for you was a was a real uh a life changing moment when when dad looked me in the eye and said don't follow my example learn from me and and do something else that 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 certainly shook my world at that point in time. But uh, tell me, if you, if you look back on your journey so far, uh, Michael, what challenging event in your life has brought about your greatest learnings and your best changes? Do you think? Um, I'd I'd say probably at the like right today in this moment is my most challenging moment. I think if you if you if you look back on your life, yesterday should be easier than today. Um, because you should always constantly be challenging yourself. I very much always had that mindset. I'm I'm my biggest competition, and if I'm not pushing myself each day, then um, I feel like I'm going backwards. So this point in my life is probably my most challenging, juggling family, investments, money, um, business, and time, trying to actually fit it all in. That's That's my biggest challenge. So... It's it's led me over the last sort of year and a bit to to really reassess and, and think. Okay, well, sit back and go. Well, what did I want to do to achieve? Why did I go on the path and that I did and make the sacrifices that I did so that I so that I could achieve the life that I wanted? So I'm starting to try and swing that pendulum back a little bit um, uh, to to a bit more of a balanced lifestyle, have a bit more time to do the things I enjoy, and the reason why. I, build a property portfolio in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. No, that uh, makes perfect sense. So, so if you look look back on that upbringing and, and uh, what's emerged from from the Italian uh, ancestry and, the, and the working on the land, uh, how has that affected your core values and beliefs and, and how has that influenced the decisions that you've made since that sort of penny drop moment when you're about 15 uh, moving forward, mate? If I look back to my grandparents when they migrated to the country and they literally just came with, you know, two luggage, two suitcases and, and nothing else, it, it taught the the value of being frugal. So I was I was very frugal. Every dollar I earned, I saved. Um, and once I learned about compounding interest and all those things, I was getting it into the, the highest interest earning account that I possibly could as a kid and um, yeah, it was frustrating. I was 16 I was, and you couldn't do much until you turned 18. I was like, oh, surely I can invest it. And they're like, no, all you can do is park it in the bank. Fortunately, at the time, I think interest rates were similar to where they are now, around 6 6%, something like that, so 5%. So it was, um, you know, it actually earned a fair bit of money. And I remember the first time that um, I was earning like $50 a month and I was like, that is paying my phone bill now. That that interest is now paying my phone bill. So all of a sudden, I was like, my phone's for free now. <laughs> and um, and once then I started obviously building that more, and I was like, okay, there's more money, and I just every dollar I went into savings. So it was a very frugal lifestyle, um, and um, yeah, again, it was all about based around family, a lot of based around food as well, but yep. just really getting enjoyment out of 
the, those sort of simple things and and that solid grounding always um, gave me a good place to base from. I love that. So, so where, yeah, and we'll get into your the nitty gritties of your uh, property journey shortly. But uh, where did where did you end up going in relation to your uh, work career? What uh, you mentioned, you're earning fifty bucks a month there. Uh, once you'd left school, can you just take us a little bit on the on your or professional journey, if you like, um, uh, to, and then circle it back to what you're doing now? Yeah. So when um, I was probably in year. 12 um and and so i like growing up on the land I, I really loved working with my hands i thought for sure i was going to do a trade i wasn't going to go to uni um not that i felt like uni was un, unattainable i just thought that's not for me i hate sitting in, in front of a computer i was like no, i've got to be outside um but yeah so i had a, a few ideas around do i become you know a builder or a carpenter or something like that or um go into something to do with sport or fitness because I, I really enjoy um playing sport and being active. So I thought that's something that I was going to do. But uh, a family um, family member of ours was also a careers counsellor and um, I was having a chat with him and he said, what are you thinking about doing? I said, I was, I was thinking about going to uni and doing accounting, but I don't really, I don't think uni is really for me. Um, and he said, oh, there's this property degree. Because he asked me, what do you enjoy doing? And I was telling him what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a property portfolio. And he said, oh, there's this property degree. And I went, done, sign me up. That, that is exactly what I want. I didn't even ask any questions about it. I thought that, that's got to be, I just wanted to learn as much as I could about property. And like I said earlier, there, there wasn't really all these podcasts and all these things back then for me to to tap into. So I thought, how can I how can I do it? So I, I thought if I either study it or work in it, that I'd get a really good opportunity to just rub shoulders with other people in the in the property industry, pick their brain and, um, if I was working in it, I'd be just so surrounded by it that I'd work something out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that led me to do my um, yeah, university degree, with, with, which was basically a business degree with a major in property. Yeah. Um, really good grounding around a lot of the aspects of property. Um, even though it's a, a relatively small industry, there's so many little things you can do within it. Yeah. Um, so you got a good understanding of that. I had to do a, a valuation unit every semester. And after doing that, I went, I definitely don't want to be a valuer. <laughs> um, but it did give me very good um, understanding of how to value property, how to understand what a property is worth. And that then uh, I sort of springboarded me into when I was selecting properties, understanding, yep. okay, well, what's the value of this property and how to then negotiate it so yeah um yeah so that's sort of what started me off I, I my first job um out of uni was as a a lease administrator so in yeah. working in the commercial uh, in a commercial property team for harvey norman um oh yeah and yeah so so all of my career basically i worked for client side for large retailers yep. and uh yeah the first job was with them which was actually really interesting because when i told people i worked for harvey norman they they couldn't they said what selling fridges and i was like no i'm, <laughs> I'm in the property team and um yeah so it was and i remember coming out of uni my brother is only 14 uh 18 months younger than me and and he'd, he'd done a trade and he was earning he, by then he was sort of third or maybe third year apprentice or maybe um fully qualified 
And I was earning 45 grand a year. And I thought, and he was earning more than me. And I'd just done three years of uni. And I thought, what, what have I done wrong here? <laughs> and, um, but, uh, you know, I stuck with it. I thought, no, this is something, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm on the right path. So um, it was a good grounding uh, with with that job because Harvey, Harvey Norman is actually a very large property owner. So, well, he's, he's like Ray Kroc. I, I mean, my my brother has, uh, in fact, my brother's driving the Harvey Norman expansion into Malaysia as we speak. Uh, so, I've secondhand through him, I've got to understand a lot about how Jerry Harvey operates, and and he's he's like uh, the Ray Kroc founder of McDonald's, mate. Uh, he, his biggest asset bases are the properties that uh, house the the uh, Harvey Norman franchises because uh, it, the, the way he operates and the way he uh, gets the franchisees to pretty much cover all the cost of that while he continues to build his property portfolio, what a brilliant uh, business model. So if you are immersed in that and getting that firsthand, I can I can see that would have been a big advantage to uh, what you ended up doing personally. Yeah, no, it definitely was. It, it's, I remember... Um, when I, when I was working there at the time, that a third of the total income that that company generated, Harvey Norman generated, was derived from property. And I thought, wow, for, for all of the uh, retail sales, for all of the other fingers he had in pies, property rent generated one third of the total business's income. So yeah, def- Jerry definitely was, you know, he was onto something. And um, that's, yeah, when I started looking into realizing that McDonald's was obviously a, a property business, not a burger business and yeah. and all of those other things. So that exposure to, to how powerful property really is. Um, yeah, that was, that was really good. So um, obviously went from there to, to um, uh, bigger things. And, and so, so, so I worked my way up into the, into leasing and, um, portfolio management through different companies and different different roles in different companies. Yeah. Um, each time the sort of the the property size got smaller, so I went from Harvey's to Bridgestone to um, a Porto and Red Rooster. So each time the the property the retail space got smaller, but it got faster. Yes. And, um, yeah. So that was really exciting. I actually ended up enjoying like finding a passion there that. Um, you know, people say you've got you got to enjoy what you do so you don't work a day in your life. But I think at, at the start, as a kid, you especially if you don't know what you want to do, you just go and get a job and you start working, you make money. And for me, it was I was making money to buy property because that was what I wanted to do. But I ended up actually enjoying what I did, so that was a bonus. Well, you're investing in knowledge, and I've often said uh... – Michael, that passion grows from expertise. And uh, when I hear people say, you've got to know your passion before you decide what you're to do, I think we've got it the wrong way around. I, I think your passion grows as your as your level of understanding and expertise in an area grows and you feel really good about it, then that that's where the passion actually flourishes. And I think in your case, uh, given that you would, uh, you know, again, very smartly uh, immersed yourself in the property arena from a professional perspective that, that then all of that head knowledge you could then uh, start to direct into your own uh, building your own portfolio what a, what a great way to go so uh, tell me then you sort of stayed in that commercial space for a, for a fair period what what then triggered the move to uh, and I'm assuming that the, the next move after that was to start your own buyers agency or are there any steps in between um yeah, so basically from the from the corporate career, 
Um, I, I got to a point and it was during COVID where you know, obviously we went into lockdown. The One of the um, roles I had was looking after the WA portfolio and because I couldn't fly there, um, I was unfortunately made redundant from that role. So I picked up a, a role with another company, but it was only a contract position. And, and so I basically had the opportunity to sit down and say, well, what do I want? What do I really want to do? You know, I've, I've purchased a few properties by this stage. I thought, you know, I don't want to keep traveling to Sydney for, for work. Um, I want to be around to, to watch my family grow. And, um, and I, I really, like, like I said, became passionate about what I was doing, about passionate about property. I just wanted to share that with other people. So I knew what a buyer's agent was, um, because when I when I looked to buy my first property, I actually reached out to um, a buyer's agent to to try and learn from them, yep. um, and I wanted to be involved. So even though they were, um, you know, they you they you pay them a fee and they buy you the property, I I said, yeah, I'm happy to do that. But can I be involved in the actual selection? Can I be involved in the process? And they said, no, that's not how it works. Mm, interesting. And I just realised, no, that's. Well, I've got, I'm just going to have to do it myself because I actually want to learn the process. I don't want to, yeah. um, you know, I don't want to just give you the money and then you'd buy it because I, I'm not learning anything. So yeah. that's why I knew what a buyer's agent was. And um, but I stayed in my corporate career because I realised that earning that PAYG income was very easy for me to then leverage yeah. um, and to build my own portfolio. Yeah. But once I, yeah, once I got to that sort of stage in my career i'd purchased a few properties and um yeah covid here just covid was a really good um i suppose a good thing for many people to really think about yeah what, what they want out of life so um yeah that's what led me to start the the buyers agency and and basically i just did that uh, and i started the business and, and structured the business in a way that i wanted it to be so touching on that point I made earlier around the, the buyer's agent didn't want to sort of work with me. My style is very much educating um, buyers or clients as they, as they buy and, and teaching them why we're, why we're selecting this particular property and why it fits in with their strategy. Cause yeah. I'm passionate about it. I just love talking about it. So yeah, um, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. I love that. Well, I, I, I guess, um, what the, a big missing chunk here now is your own property journey because I, I'm hearing that the, the you were sort of struggling both in terms of your professional property involvement commercially initially, uh, but also uh, on that that track to go hard from twenty to thirty to put yourself in a good position. Uh, let, let's dive into that now because I'd love to to just unpack. Uh, the whole exercise and, and I want you to start with why did you decide to invest and and what really uh, you've touched on your father suggesting property is a thing was it was that the thing that really triggered your interest in in property yeah well basically that was that was a really the first um trigger was him introducing the idea of property to me and, and the idea of buying and owning property and collecting rent yeah and then from there it was really up to me to take that and run with it and just actually learn as much as I could about it because there's obviously there's there's you can flip property, you can buy it, renovate and flip it, you can develop it, you can buy and hold. There's there's many different strategies there. So it was important for me to work out what was going to be the best strategy. And so I did a lot of I read a lot of books, I attended a lot of seminars and 
um, uh, you know, events and conferences around property and just try to take at least one nugget from every single thing that I, you know, read or watched or listened to. Yeah. And the common the common sort of thing that I picked up was that it was the ownership, long-term ownership, that is where the real wealth was built. Yep. So for me, my my strategy was just buy and hold, yep. um, which again is a very Italian thing that's drummed into you as well, just buy and hold and never sell. <laughs> um, so that was, um, yeah, that's sort of what sparked the interest. So basically uh, I, I finished uni, work, started working, saved my butt off for that whole year. Like I said, I, I'd put, well, sorry, from school to uni, I'd worked as well uh, part-time uh, on the farm. Yep. So whenever I wasn't at uni, I was working on the farm and um, I'd managed to save, I think, $30,000 yeah, in, nice. in that stage um, and then uh, started my career. And like I said, I only made forty five grand that year. So I actually worked three jobs to be able to save up more money. And by the end of that year, I think I'd saved about seventy thousand uh, dollars. Oh, sorry, like a total of seventy, so saved forty. So pretty much everything I earned from my corporate job went into savings. And the other two jobs I worked were basically just to to have a bit of money to to enjoy life, spend some, to do some social things. But majority of it, even that, still went into savings. I love I that. Yes. Sorry to jump in there, but before we get into what you then start on buying, et cetera, do you have any initial fears or feelings of concern about uh, property and investing before you actually pull the trigger? Um, no, not not so much about property itself, but definitely when um, the you know when I signed that contract when I bought that first property, uh, buyer's remorse kicked in, and I was like, oh, what have I done? You know, I started doubting myself and. Um, do I really, you know, do I really know what I'm doing? Have I researched enough? And, you know, all those normal things that a first time property buyer or property investor goes through. Um, so no, I, di- I didn't really have fears about property because I felt confident that that was a, a, a thing long-term, but it was more just doubting myself, uh, yeah. still being young, you know, 21, I, yeah. everyone else was out partying or going over to Europe and I was signing a contract for a property. So I, I love um, it. I, I, what I think is important there and, and, and good to share with those that are listening is that because you're invested in your knowledge, so you're talking to a lot of people, you are reading a lot of books, you're going to seminars, that in itself helps to uh, evaporate the fear because it, the confidence grows as the clarity and the understanding uh, emerges from that, so you, you're then going ahead without those fear hurdles getting getting in the road. So uh, I really appreciate you sharing that, mate. Uh, let, let's now. I, I really want to jump into the nitty gritties of the particulars of your property journey in terms of what you did, when, and why. What challenges that did you overcome? What worked and what didn't? And what have been the learnings from all of that? Yeah. So I suppose let's 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 talk about the first property. So I knew that I wanted to buy land, so I'd worked out a bit of a strategy, which for me was. Buy, buy land, buy house on land, um, hold hold that property for as long you know as long as possible. Um, if if possible, also have some kind of development subdivision potential on the property. So, yep. um, with my seventy grand I'd saved up, basically I had enough for a fifty k deposit as a ten percent deposit. So for a five hundred thousand dollar purchase with with purchasing costs as well. So, yep. um, 
wasn't much money. I suppose, well, back then it probably was. It allowed me to buy a property in Sydney. Um, and I was lucky to to have um, some good people around me that I could draw advice from. So um, I, I looked at sort of some areas and I was looking around Parramatta region, but 500 grand then I could probably only really get a, a unit. Um, yeah. How long ago was this, mate? I just, just put a time frame. Um, 20, what is it now? Probably 2014, I think. Yeah, okay. 2014, yeah. Yep. So, um, and and so that was the start of the, the Sydney boom yep. back then too. I think we would, well, we're definitely in it because I remember watching the market that I'd, so I ended up buying in a suburb just outside of Penrith and um, that was every, I watched that really closely for six months and every property that was listed, whatever price it was listed at, it was selling like 50 grand over and I was like, oh, you know, this is just running away. Yeah. And I was starting to think, you know, how can I, how can I do it? So um, it, that knowledge basically gave me the ability to, when I found a property that I went, yeah, that's, that's the right one. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the one I want to buy. I knew what I needed to offer in order to secure it so that I didn't miss out on it. Yep. Um, so yeah, I purchased that property. It was a, you know, just a modest three bedroom home and had a, a very light renovation done. Um, but it was on an 800 square meter block. Yeah, nice. and, and it was already rented from the start, so yep. that was good. Yep. Um, so I purchased that. I then saved, worked hard for another, I think, about nine months, worked and saved everything I could, and um, then I thought, all right, I'm going to put a granny flat on this property, try and pull some additional income out of it because yep. uh, I was still, um, I think I'd had a, a small pay pay rise, a bit of a promotion, but still nothing nothing crazy um and i thought how can i get some more cash flow because i quickly saw that that property was costing me money each week and i needed to do something to to change that around so yeah i built a granny flood on it but i built it in a way um so i had a bit of foresight and you know obviously if you can do it the other way if you can do it the direct way you would but I, at the time i had to do it sort of the back end way around but I had a foresight to build it in a way that I could future subdivide it as well. Nice. Um, so I built it as a granny flat, so which was easy. I didn't have to go through council, just went through the CDC process. Yeah. Um, but built it in a way that I could then extend it as well. So I had a big roof line, a few other things like that. But nice. um, so I did that and then, again, worked hard for another six months, saved as much money as I could, and, I, and then I engaged a town planner and a um, – and uh, surveyor and a few other people to to help me put that DA through. Yep. Got that subdivided, and um, in in order to do that, I had to do some more work to the property. I had to put a driveway and some um, crossovers uh, and everything else. Yep. Yeah, all those types of things. So uh, yep. additional water meter, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but all of that, and this is you know twenty twenty two twenty three. Um, I just was getting my hands dirty. I was doing as much as I could myself, getting very involved with all of the consultants that I was engaging to pick their brain on everything they were doing. Not that I ever wanted to take their job away or, or do their job, but it was just to understand it because right. I enjoyed it. Um, so once I'd subdivided that property, that's what really kicked me off into into or springboarded me into future properties. So, um, yeah, and I love the idea of dual income. So I was like, okay, I've got to find some more of these. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the next one 
again, I just did a cash out uh, from from that uh, equity that I yep. produced from the prop property yep. um, and purchased an existing uh, an existing house in Granny Flat. So it was already done. So I thought I can either try and find a site and build another Granny Flat, or I can just um, I can just buy one done. And it was that stage, I think it was around 2018, 2019. And um, I was like, okay, well, that was a bit of a softer period in the market. So we'd come through that boom and it started softening a bit. And I found a property that uh, at this stage was now on the central coast. I started looking back home and going, okay, well, what can I find? Um, Because Sydney had gone so crazy then. I was like, I don't have another uh you know 500 grand was sort of all i could buy again so i found a property uh and it was a really good return i think it was a seven percent return wow Uh, and so i purchased that um and that's when i started sort of dabbling with different ideas around uh, entity structures and things as well so i started speaking with my accountants and trying to understand uh I told him that I wanted to grow a property portfolio. I didn't want to just own one or two. I wanted to own as many as I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what sort of challenges, what is I going to come up to if I just kept buying them all in my own name or should I start looking at different structures? So we started, um, yeah, changing the, the different entities to purchase within. Um, this stage I'd, I'd met my wife as well and we'd um, relocated to the coast. So, I did live in Sydney for a few years when I studied and started working, but we by this stage moved to the coast. Um, we went rented for a little bit just so yep. she could get a bit of a feel for the area, and um, uh-huh. and uh, once once she was comfortable, and we we then used that time to find something as well. Um, yeah, so we purchased our own home. So that was sort of uh, a a fun moment for me or an exciting moment because I'd, I'd always just lived with family up until then yeah. and never really moved out. Um, I lived at, at home and then when I moved to Sydney, I lived with um, my auntie and uncle down there and, and also my grandmother. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that was, that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she very much spoiled me and um, looked after me, but forever grateful for, for that ability to, to have lived without, needing to pay rent was um, something I'll be forever grateful for. And it definitely helped me save a lot harder. But in but at the same time, I didn't take advantage of it. Um, I didn't I didn't just go, oh, well, I don't have to uh, have all these extra overheads so I can party harder or, um, you know, blow my money. It actually made me save harder because I wanted to to make them proud and actually show that, you know, they, they gave me a, um, a helping hand um, not necessarily a cash, you know, putting cash in my hand, but they they gave me a, a lot of assistance by allowing me to save. So I wanted to really prove to them that they didn't do it for nothing. Yeah, hey, yeah, I, I love what you've shared there because I think there's a there's a couple of really important messages that come out of what you've done, and and one is uh, that you were, were so focused on building the portfolio that you clearly worked very hard to put together the deposits. Uh, so, you know, having multiple jobs to, to build that income, uh, I think is a, a really important takeaway because I, a lot of people I talk to uh, 
almost want it to happen for them rather than than uh, wanting to make it happen. And and you taking that extra energy, being very very uh, frugal with your spending, uh, living with family, working multiple jobs to really turbocharge and jumpstart the exercise for you, I, I think is a really important takeaway. And I also think that while the, the buy and hold exercises, the old uh, Italian had buy and hold it forever exercises there, that you've added to that in terms of looking for that redevelopment opportunity and creating the dual incomes with the granny flats uh, where you're effectively creating and manufacturing equity uh, is a really important add-on that, that you've achieved with that. So uh, I think there's some some really good lessons there. If we if we look at the the evolution of your strategy, then while it was initially buy and hold forever, uh, has it changed at all? And and what does your strategy look like now uh, and into the future in terms of uh, what what you're wanting to achieve? Yeah, it has changed um, a little bit, Bushy, in terms of um, sort of more around lifestyle and, and balance. So um, in, the interest rates at the moment are obviously increased very, very quickly in a very short period of time. Um, I used le- the power of leverage while I was young and and did leverage myself up a lot. Yeah. Um, any Any dollar I could borrow, I would, because I knew it was going towards good debt. Yeah, and so um, I wasn't scared of it. And like I said at the start, uh, if I made a mistake, oh well, I'll, I'll I've got all my life to to fix that up. But yeah, um, so I really leveraged high, um, and and yeah, I did work hard to save as deposits as much as I could. But then when I did that subdivision, uh, that uh, opened up a lot of equity, which I really tapped into a lot of that. So. Um, I didn't really go over the sort of the 80% mark after that. I kept it very highly lever- leveraged. Yep. And in um, property growth has then obviously pulled my LVR right back down. But the actual debts themselves um, didn't really reduce all that much because the first one I just had left on interest only and yep. um, subsequent ones I've tried to put to P&I, but uh, I've also been more focused on paying down that owner-occupier loan because of that... Um, that really is a bugbear of mine. Knowing that that's a to me that's a bad debt. This this, this debt's not making me any money. And uh, yeah, the property's growing in value, but um, I'd rather have that interest as a tax deductible int- expense rather than just watching that money go uh, out the yeah. door. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the view I've sort of, sort of something I've been thinking about, and and I mean in the process of doing is um, selling off that first one to reduce a lot of debt um, and uh, both, both investment and owner occupied debt just to free up a bit of cash flow. Um, That's probably off the back of my, my choice to start a business as well and put a lot of focus into that. Um, But also having started a family and um, wanting to, to actually, achieve the ultimate goal or that ultimate lifestyle of being um, a present dad, being a present husband, um, I could have easily just kept working hard, which is exactly what I did. From 20 to 30, I just knuckled down. I worked smart, but I worked very hard. Yep. And I thought if if I just stay on that way, see, I watched a lot of my uh, grandparents and that generation do that. And they just worked hard, worked hard, worked hard, and they're still working hard even though they don't need to. Yeah, that's all they know, and yeah. um, I had to be very conscious around 
do I just follow that same path or do I want to live the life I actually envisaged when I was back when I was a teenager? And what does that look like? What what is the the ideal lifestyle? If we jump into the future and we apply that living by design that sort of approach, uh, what, what does your ideal lifestyle look like, Michael? Well, my my ideal lifestyle is to be back on the land. I'd love to to own my own acreage. Um, I don't want it to be necessarily a working farm, but just obviously I'd, I'd have some animals on there and. Um, but that's more for a hobby and for a joy and, and a passion. But I'd love to just be on the land. I, the uh, life I had growing up, uh, I just think really shaped who I am and yeah. I'd love to give that to my kids as well. Yeah. Um, I also just love the space and freedom that that gives you. Um, but really it's it's just doing what I want to do when I want to do it. So um, I don't want to stop buying property. I, I, I really love doing that both for myself and for for my clients now um so i get a lot of enjoyment out of that but it's but it's the i I like that i don't have the pressure to have to do it um so that's that's sort of why i'm looking to yeah restructure um my portfolio so that i can actually do what i want to set out to do in the first place which was not have to work Um, yeah i love it you you touched on the the uh, ownership entity structures earlier on. Uh, talk us through the, the your the evolution of your thinking and, and what you've done differently so far along that journey and, and what that might mean to the types of entities that you buy properties in the future. Can you share that with us? Yeah, so <clears throat> I suppose I'll, I'll, I'll go back one step to explain how that sort of came about. So after, after I purchased my first property, uh, I always continued to um, invest in education, invest in my my knowledge. And yep. so I continued to go along to seminars and there was a lot of those, um, I suppose, property spruker seminars where they're trying to sell your property off the plan or whatever else. But there's there's some that were also about education. So they don't give you a property to buy or, or select a property for you to buy. They sort of show you how to do it. And um, I started looking at, different ways I could do that. And, you know, I look back on it and I go, was that money well spent? Well, yeah, I learned something. So I, I try not to live with any regrets, but yeah. that was probably my my um, mistake, I would say, or, or not a mistake, but just something that I go, okay, I learned my lesson there, spent some money on that course, but probably could have put that elsewhere, which would have got me a better return. Yeah. But in doing that, um, I was looking at purchasing property um interstate and, and and overseas looking at different options and part of that was to set up a, a trust and then um and purchasing that structure so i'd set up the structure i didn't end up buying anything overseas because i thought no i, I want to keep my focus here um wow. and so i said to my accountant well we've got this this trust uh, what am i may as well use it <laughs> so um we selected a property, so that that property that had the existing granny flat on it, um, to go into there because that was a um, a positively geared property. And so, rather than continue to add money to um, my taxable income, it, it stayed within the trust and just retains profits within there. So, yeah, um, that was purchased in there, uh, and that was sort of yeah by by accident or by chance because of the path because I created it basically. Yeah, I thought I'd spent the money setting it up may as well use it but subsequent to to purchasing our um, family home we i then um wanted to to help my i've got two younger brothers i wanted to help them with their property journey and 
Um, and so we set up a company uh, with my mum and dad as well, which we um, purchased a property in that uh, entity as well. Yep. And so that, uh, that's been a really good learning lesson. I'd, I'd say it wasn't a failure. Um, the property itself, again, was an existing house in Granny Flat, yep. um, performed very well and is performing very well. The the structure, though, um, I've learned a lot from doing that. And, and so I've realised that um, the way we set it up and structured it has actually sort of um, set me back a little bit personally. Yep. From, from future lending and, and leveraging. So that's another reason I'm trying to structure debt. So I, I wouldn't say it was a mistake in terms of the property we selected, probably just the way we structure it. But that was um, really the only way we could at the time. Well, there's a really good learning as well. And, and what I love about to what I'm hearing is that you're prepared to do the research and 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 try these exercises to see how it goes. And as you've said, the, the properties perform well, but uh, often... Uh, as you would know, in a, in a business structure, particularly you've got a number of directors, which is, it sounds like your family members who've all got different interests, then effectively you, you're you taking, in terms of your own personal borrowing capacity ongoing, that's, that's going to absorb a lot of your borrowing capacity because you're effectively responsible for all of that debt, even though you're only one of a few. And the taxation issues and the depreciation issues that are applied to a company are very different to what you'd be doing in either a, a trust or your personal name. So, so there's some some really good learnings I think that 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 flow out of that exercise, and that the buying capacity and the holding cost side of the equation, in terms of the entity structure, needs to be very carefully thought about in terms of where you're at on your journey. So you're picking the right vehicle at the right time to get the right result. Because uh, you know, as you've shared, I, I, I've seen a lot of people who who followed the the uh, exercise about doing everything in trust, and and because all of the uh, income and the uh, tax benefits are quarantined in that trust, often the holding cost of those properties is significantly higher than something if it was done in tenants in common or, or another structure. So early on in the process, those holding costs can become quite prohibitive and, and limit your ability to both live and continue to add to the portfolio. So some some really good lessons there. Um, if we sort of wrap all this up then, then Michael, uh, and and looking at your own journey and and looking at those that you've been helping as a as a buyer's agent, what do you believe are the keys to successful investment and why? Um, really, doing doing the research um, and and understanding the market that you're buying in that, that really is key because every market's different, every suburb um, and region is different. So knowing the the area that you're buying in and um, not just for the, the property buying today, but the kind of um, demand that's going to be there for that property in the future as well. Now, obviously, my my um, approach has always been to hold uh, for as long as possible, but if ever you need to sell it or even if you just want to uh, refinance and redraw some equity out of that um, property to, to purchase further uh, investment properties, it's that demand for that type of property in the area that's going to drive the value. So, uh, knowing you know, what those what those drivers are and knowing your your area is definitely something that um, is is really important. Um, and just having a, a really strong why. Um, it's, it's in a lot of the books you read, um, a lot of the things you listen to. They always talk about your why, 
uh, you got to write it down or you got to think about it or read it out every day. Um, for me, I'm not so diligent on doing that um, in terms of, you know, writing things down or just constantly reciting them. But for me, it's a, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. Um, when I was, when I was a teenager and I had that idea around how I wanted to, to be and what the property I wanted to live on and the type of life I wanted to have, that was a really strong emotion. And I still have that. And I think about it all the time. So that, um, yeah, that keeps you going when times are hard. Well, absolutely. It becomes a magnet and a compass. So I often say this, if, if your why is vivid and strong enough, then you'll crawl over broken bottles to to make it happen and you'll ride over the inevitable speed bumps that occur along the investment journey. But it also, if you're clear on where you want to end up, then it, it's a compass in that every decision you're making day to day is based on, well, is that taking me closer to that or, or further away? So that North Star that comes out of getting really crystal clear on exactly you know, what the end game looks like is a and the why that's attached to that is a, is a really important thing that I sadly see a lot of people ignore, thinking it's all woo-woo and and, and rubbish. But uh, I can, I can t- tell you from personal experience and and for those that I've helped over the last 20-odd years, it makes a massive difference to the commitment to actually making it happen and, and sticking the course. So I well, love that you shared that. If you, if you Before I jump into the, the first round of the, our ambush bushfire round, uh, Michael, if you were... Starting out again uh, now, would you have done anything or invested anything differently? Um, no, I, look, I, like I said, I, I try not to live with regrets. I think we make choices and, and we just have to live with them. Um, I don't think I, I could have done anything differently. Um, there's only so much you can know at, at any point in time and, and, and continual learning is, is how you become more knowledgeable in a certain field. So, you know, I, obviously, I know a lot more now than I did back then, but I've had ten years to to um, learn it. So, um, no, look, I think I, I did the best I could with the resources I had and the people around me and the knowledge that I had at the time. And the the thing that really made the difference was I just took action and I did it. Yeah, it's spot on, and 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 again in. In full respect and admiration of what you've done to be thinking about passive income at the age of 15. Uh, <laughs> very, very few people I've talked to have even started to contemplate at double or triple that age, yet alone at 15. And then uh, once you're that penny had dropped, uh, taking the action and working really hard to actually put the uh, the deposits and the equity together to be able to achieve what you've achieved. Uh, at a, a very young age and, and pretty much set up your life as a consequence of that because I, I guarantee you wouldn't have been able to even think about being a buyer's agent if you hadn't have uh, built up that nest egg uh, early in the piece because it's you just wouldn't be in a financial position to be able to afford to, to run a business for a couple of years without having that behind you. So uh, I uh, got a lot of admiration uh, for what you've achieved in that regard, mate, and I have no doubt that it's only going to go from strength to strength from here. So, uh, mate, uh, I, I now want to jump into the the first part of the what I like to call the ambush uh, bushfire lightning round, where I ask you uh, some really quick questions to get your thoughts on. Uh, and the first of those, mate, is uh, what superpower do you wish that you had, and why? Uh, I suppose from a, from an investment perspective, I. We'd all love to know, be able to predict the future. That'd be <laughs> that'd be a great superpower. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think 
Uh, superpower. All right, I think you've covered it right there. If, 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 uh, the number of times I've said, if I, only I had a crystal ball uh, yeah. that would tell me what what's going to happen with property in the in the future, then then uh, that would have made life a whole lot easier. So I think you've covered that off really well. If, uh, jumping into the next question, then Michael, uh, what do you think would be the title of the book that was written about you if your worst enemy wrote it? Oh, probably the the tight ass who owns property. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That that <laughs> that is awesome, mate. Off the top of your head. Uh, next sorry, question. Then. Sorry to interrupt. I know um, the the answer to that question before the superpower um, would would be to to um, have more time. Yeah, that, that's that would be my ultimate superpower to be able to control time, slow time down. Yeah, that, that's a, that. That is a cracker. That is a cracker. I, I agree with you, mate. It's as I keep saying, it's it's all about time. At the end of the day, uh, next question. And if if you could have a coffee with anyone, either alive or dead, or famous or historical, what have what have you? Who would you choose and why? Um, I know he's a you know everyone talks about him, but uh, Robert Kiyosaki, I think, would be a great person to have a coffee with. Uh, he was. One of the first books I read was Rich Dad Poor Dad, and it really okay. shaped a lot of my my thinking and my um, sort of ideas around wealth creation. And yeah, so I, I think he'd be an awesome person to sit down and have a coffee with. Yeah, uh, yeah I tell you what, uh, if you look at the legacy that he's created through that book, uh, I'm like you. I had my Kiyosaki moment back in the '90s, uh, and that was a that was a life changing moment for me. I actually went and saw him live. Uh, he was in Adelaide, uh, and so a mate dragged me along, and then and then I read all of his books. I played his cash flow game. It, it really completely flipped my lid in terms of the way I looked at the world from that point on. And I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if it wasn't for Robert Kiyosaki, mate. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so, and it's a timeless, timeless time. Uh, it's as relevant today as what it was when I read it. Uh, in the nineties, so uh, awesome. Uh, now, last question of this round: If if you won twenty million dollars tomorrow, what would you do with it? Well, she twenty million dollars. That's that's a lot of money. That's more than I need. So I'd probably give a bit of it away, to be honest, um, and just try and help uh, help as many people as I can. Um, I'd obviously buy that dream acreage that I've I've got in the back of my mind, just constantly. Uh, burning there, but uh, yeah, I'll do that, set that up, and, and then just help other people as best I can. Yeah, I love it, mate. Well, look, uh, uh, really want to thank you for taking the time to share the ins and outs of your personal journey, Michael. Uh, it's 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 been great. I'm I'm really looking forward to deep diving into the buyers agency piece uh, next week. And uh, I just want to mention before we close off that if anyone would like to ask Michael any further questions on his property investment approach or would like to discuss anything we chatted about with other like-minded investors in a very safe sales-free environment, I really encourage you to just uh, join and jump on our Facebook Property Hub Collective uh, interactive community group, uh, which you can do by just clicking on the link in the show notes. And we look forward to connecting with you there and continuing the conversation. So uh, we now look forward to continuing that deep dive in next week's episode, Michael, where we're going to unpack the benefits of local area specialists and the sort of intimate familiarity uh, that is needed when it comes to securing your property. So again, thanks for your time. Remember to always get invested and we look forward to seeing you again then. Stay tuned thanks, for please. part two of this interview next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, your home for property investment insights, 
and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration along with every episode of Realty Talk, Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge and I look forward to seeing you next time.